This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Uh, I know. Weather's coming. Some people are happy. It's getting hot. I miss the cold. I miss the rain. <laughs> Got the AC pumping. So anyway, if you're all if you're sun babies and you love all that, hope you're out there getting the sun, please make sure you're wearing sunscreen. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We all need to be wearing sunscreen. Um... Yeah, wear a hat, a little bit of sunscreen, stay hydrated. Do your thing, y'all. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about uh, parenting. And again, this is one of those topics that really relates to all of us. Because so it's really a topic on neuro health, right? Psychological health. How in early environments with our kids, we can set them up. But also, these are things we should be doing later in life as well, throughout our life, but also later in life to maintain brain health. It's interesting how what we need in the beginning is what we need in its total duration of our life, but especially also on the back end. So we're going to be breaking all that down. Um, that's why I love neurology. It's constantly evolving and changing, and uh, we're always learning new. You know, a long time ago, we really thought that there was left brain and right brain, and right brain did this, and left brain did that, blah, blah, blah. Now we know it's a fusion, right? Some people, it's even in the inverse, and it's not exactly that's a right brain thing, and that's literally your right brain. It doesn't work like that. Um, this bilateralization isn't as clean and crisp as we thought. And also, we used to think that your brain stopped growing around, what was it, 23, 24, 25? Now we know that neuroplasticity occurs throughout the duration of your life, and that relationships uh, are the, one of the more meaningful things. Learning and relationality is what really wires our brains. Our brains are a social organ, right? We're connected. Uh, so I love this. This is someone else's quote. I don't have the author of this. This is like a bunch of research. They said, you know, when you're raising children, and again, I want us to apply this to ourselves as adults in relationship with anyone, be a gardener, not a carpenter. What do you think that means? Carpentry is specific. It's targeted. There's a plan. We're staying on plan. We're getting there. Being a gardener is I'm going to help nourish and let the flowers and trees and everything bloom and become what they're meant to become. I'm not going to overly control. I'm not going to decide what's best for it. My job is to just make sure it's getting the light it needs. It's getting the nutrients it needs. I'm keeping it watered. And I sit back and watch the beauty of it surprising me with what it becomes. That is being a good parent. It's also being a good partner. See how it all dovetails? Um, we don't get to decide the, the plan or the trajectory of someone else's life, nor should we. That's actually really crappy parenting. That's being a really crappy friend or partner is saying, this is what I need it to be. It's not about you. <laughs> Your job is a caregiver. Okay, and I say caregiver because caregiver could be a parent, caregiver could be a friend, caregiver could be I'm in a romantic relationship with you or whatnot. Our job is to help nourish you to become the best you, whatever that's supposed to be. We don't get to decide. And when we try to decide, that's our ego. We need you, we think, to live a certain way for us to feel okay. Get over your ego. It's not about you. And I still work with clients that are afraid to tell their parents, I fell in love with someone who's not Jewish, or I fell in love with someone who's not black, or I fell in love with someone who has tattoos, or, oh my God, I decided I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be an artist. All of that is rooted in, I've been, what they're also saying is I've been raised in a family where I wasn't given any autonomy. I've been raised in a family where I'm shamed into being the person my parents need me to be because their ego is so fragile versus I was raised in an environment where they said, you're worthy of love regardless, and I'm here to help you be who you need to be. And if that upsets me, that's my work. My work is to support you in being who you are. But that's how it should be in all relationships, with friends, with loved ones, with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. They have their own journey. We're not always gonna be synchronized skaters on the same path, in the same ways, at the same times, always fitting into each other's lives. We hold space to allow that movement. That's what a good partner does, a good parent does. 
right? <clears throat> we stay grounded and anchored and we let our other go on the journey they need to go on. That's love. That's care. I talked about this through another topic. Otherwise, often what we're doing is what we do to our pets. We call it love, but love isn't control. And we control our pets. We love our pets and support them to, the, to our limits or to the limits of what we want. In the field, we call it cathecting. Where we don't love pets, we cathect them. We don't let them live their best. We don't support their growth. We don't support their evolution. We don't support their authenticity. We want them to not go on the couch, not bark when we don't want them to. We, we control them. We care for them. We have love at times for them, but we don't want what's in their best to our detriment. We center ourselves. Okay, well, you know, your pets can't really advocate for themselves beyond that, but you shouldn't do that to a human being. You shouldn't say to a child or your adult partner, I'm going to love you to the limits of what I'm comfortable with. And then like a pet, I'm going to shame you, swat you, throw water on your face, scream at you, and try to center your life around my comfort and my needs because I don't want to have to learn how to regulate. I don't want to deal with disappointment. We don't want to do that to humans. I don't want to do it to animals either, but nonetheless, we're not getting off on that topic. To be a good parent or to be a good partner is to be a gardener, help give them the conditions, help create those foundational conditions within which they can grow and become the person they're meant to be. Versus a carpenter, which is here's the map, here's the plan, here's how it's gonna look, the goal's decided, the material's just gonna be forced into what I want it to be, and that's that. That's horrible. So if you see yourself being that kind of parent, being in relationship with people like that, it's not good. Uh, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna keep talking about, uh, again, through the lens of parenting, other relational skills. And that's why I love this stuff because it really applies to everyone, even though it seems like I'm talking about parent and child. Uh, if you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be gliding into those DMs later. But uh, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back. Kind of giving you a little bit of a framework. You know, the entry point is um, what do we do if we want to raise healthy, resilient, flexible, anchored secure children, but this applies to all relationships. That's what I love about this. If we start young, they grow up into being the kind of adult that pushes this forward, but we haven't really been nailing this. A lot of people are getting better. I'm liking a lot of the new parent books and parenting stuff. It's seeing parenting as a spiritual process where my child is transforming me, showing me where my work is. Dating's the same way. Parenting attachment style. I don't let my kid cry it out. We actually now know through the research, they haven't learned to self-regulate when they stop crying on their own. They've collapsed and given up because no one came to help them. Children don't have the capacity to self-soothe or self-regulate. As adults, we need to be there to co-regulate. We help them settle down. 
It's even funnier when I see an adult who can't settle themselves down screaming at a child who can't, saying, you know, you know, shaming them for throwing a temper tantrum as I'm watching the adult do it. I'm like, well, that's why the kid doesn't know how, because you don't. And if you don't, you weren't able to teach them that. But children aren't meant to self-soothe. We were supposed to soothe them. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not a parent. I'm not saying attachment style is easy either, but we have to be there to co-regulate, right? <clears throat> okay, so my second point though is I love this one because this was profound for me and continues to be. And again, this is where all this research helps us in adulthood. Uh, the second most important thing, well, it's not that these are in order of importance. Let me take that back. The Another thing to think about in pursuit of being a good partner, right, in relationship to everyone, but especially children, is read and talk to your child a lot. So what are we really saying? Well, the first thing we're saying is actually form a true and authentic relationship with them. Talk to them. Have a relationship with them. Otherwise, we won't have one, and we can't be surprised as to why we don't know them or why they're withholding or why they're drifting, right? Have a relationship with them, so you have to talk to them, which means the adult has to have a vulnerability. We need to also do this in our later years in our relationships. We have to be vulnerable. We have to still talk. We have to still check in. We have to enter their world, bring them into our world. I've given that as one of the dating tips. Be aware of what's going on in your partner's life. Track it, follow up and ask questions. That's how we really participate. Hey, how did it go at work with blah, blah, blah? Hey, how did that talk go with your friend? Do you know your partner, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, do you know their friends' names? Do you know what them and their friends do? Do you know what they do at work? Do you know what they're working on at work? Do you know any of their colleagues? If not, start there that you are clearly not a major participant in their life if you don't have the answers to those things. Do you know your kid's friends? Do you know what your kid enjoys to do socially? Again, we wanna have the kind of relationship where we are talking and they trust us and we're not judging and we're not shaming. People, children and adults are going to live lives sometimes not in accordance with what we want for them or how we want them to live. That doesn't mean we don't participate. That doesn't mean we don't still ask questions. So talk a lot. That's how we build the neuro foundations for later learning is talking, but pushing more into also reading. But before we get to the reading parts, the talking part where we teach co-regulation, the talking part is where we help people have develop like a framework for how to see the world, how to see others, how to problem solve, how to repair relationships. So it's like, what are you communicating to your child when someone hurts you, cut them out? That's horrible. Would you teach them through the talking when someone hurts you? You approach them and you talk it out and you work it through and then you repair? But you as the adult have to be aware and able to do that yourself. And that's where, again, I wish before we entered any kind of relationship, parenting or romance, we asked ourselves, how healthy am I to be brought into someone's life? What kind of impact will I have on them? I want parents to ask that. Like we have premarital counseling, which not many people I know use, but we should also have pre-parenting counseling where people look at what kind of pathology do I have that I might give to my child? Perspectives on the world, perspectives on relationships, safety around others. Am I going to keep pushing forward intergenerational trauma that my parents pass on to me that I'm not passing on to my children where I'm making them suspect of everything and everyone and cutting people out? Or have I identified that in myself and worked on it? It's called shadow work. What are the parts of yourself that you're trying to ignore and disown that have a lot of, that occupy a lot of space because what we ignore still exists. It actually persists, right? So that's where that talking comes in because we're constantly teaching our children. And if not, the television is. And that's also where you don't want their value system coming from because we already know what that's about, the consumerism and how advertisements go. But then we go on to the reading. Reading is so important. <clears throat> not only are you giving them information, but you're also spending time with them and you're also helping educate them around the differences. I'd love for parents to read with their kids books about different identities, different genders, different sexual orientations, dif different family structures, right? Different kinds of people. Have your kid have friends of all different kinds of backgrounds and cultures so it feels normal to them. It feels present, it feels familiar, right? That's really where we need to do a lot of this work. But as adults, we can be doing that too. Reading is vital. If you're not reading, ask yourself why. Are you listening to audiobooks at least? We, we wanna have our perspectives challenged and developed. We don't wanna just keep watching the same local news channels, having them decide for us our perception on things because they present things to us in a certain way. We only have access to the information they give us. It's not necessarily a lot of critical thought around that. 
but reading, especially things outside of our general world, really brings in some challenging perspectives and ideas. And that's a way we get to you know, encounter other cultures, get more familiar, kind of normalize the, some of that. And we definitely want to do that with children because children are going to go out into this very diverse world. It's getting more diverse by the minute, right? We're talking about all these different ways of being. It's so beautiful. We're normalizing all these different ways of being slowly, but it's happening. And social media is pushing that forward. So they're going to encounter all of that. So really sit with that one. That's really important. Um, hold on one second. I, I guess this kind of ties into this. Um, another point is about exposing children to lots of different kinds of people. And we kind of talked about through the conversations in the books. Um, but I like this piece of research. So it says, babies who interact regularly with speakers of different languages may retain critical brain wiring that helps them learn other languages in the future. Similarly, babies who see many diverse faces may wire themselves to better distinguish and remember a greater variety of faces in later life. This might be the simplest anti-racism step you can take as a parent. Bam. Think about if we apply that outside of race too and sexual orientation. Gay and trans people are still murdered around the world and it's illegal. So imagine if we were introducing them to different kinds of people, speaking, visually, socially, We'll come back. We're going to take a little break. Um, yeah, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q. We'll be back. All right, we're back. And we're talking about better ways to um, initially parent your child, right? What are some ways and perspectives to raise children so as to make them socially healthy, resilient, right? Have the flexibility and fluidity to encounter different kinds of people, but then also these roll into adulthood. And this is just how to be a better partner in general, how to have different relationships with people. So we're talking about spending time reading, right? All different kinds of things, being a gardener, not a carpenter, right? Really laying down the conditions around which someone can be their best and, and really flourish, right? Not making it about us or a preset plan as to how we think things need to be. That's ego, that's control, that's fear. Um, and then I was talking about some of this research about exposing children to different kinds of people and how studies show not only will it help them, you know, neurologically possibly pick up other languages, but even more importantly, that's how we might work towards anti-racism and anti-transphobia and homophobia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is to let them encounter and to normalize and to have familiarity with people that don't look like them or sound like them or live like them. It doesn't serve us to raise children in really homogenous environments where everyone kind of is the same. And that's what I was raised in. And that worked against me. I literally, not literally, I, well, I literally as well, but I also luckily started spending time outside of my, you know, private Catholic school, thank God, where everyone literally looked the same. Um, no one was openly out. Back then we didn't have the word trans and there weren't, every, I think it was like 99% white. It was horrible. And I had to then start hanging out with the local high school kids to actually meet gay people, people that later would come out as trans, people that were black, people that were just all different kinds of backgrounds culturally. It was, it was kind of profound and shocking at first. I mean, find ways to expose them. Art, museums, travel, television, books, there's music, cuisine. Take them to different cuisines. Take them to an authentic Indian restaurant. Let them encounter those flavors and that culture and the art and some of the language is beautiful. Take them to a gallery or museum, you know? Have, have them watch different television shows. Um, some historical pieces that really help them critically analyze how we got to where we are and why we are the way we are. Really beautiful stuff. So exposure. Exposure is going to help all of us. Um, and then finally, this is a hard one for some parents, agency and autonomy. You, you don't want children to become so dependent on you as they age that they don't have the confidence or curiosity to step outside and explore a little bit. Kind of goes back to what I said about the pets. We don't really support our pets' exploration. We want them to just stay within the comfort of our comfort. We don't really say to them, here, go out and explore. See the world a little bit. Maybe some people do. But we want to support that in our children, you know, within safety, within bounds, within age appropriateness. Let them go over a friend's house. Let them sleep over. Maybe let them go camping with someone's family if you trust them within bounds. You know, we got to assess maturity and all that. But letting them just be out, letting them go out. But again, how's that come back to us adults? Well, you should be doing that with your loved one too. If you're married or in a relationship and they're like, hey, my buddy wants me to go on a best friend camping trip. Of course you should say yes. 
don't hold them back just because you're not invited or you can't go or you're not interested in that. Maybe they want to go spend some time alone with their family. Send them out into the world. Let them have a big full life. Don't shrink people's world down just to keep you feeling comfortable and safe. Because when they're pushing and wanting, they're telling us what they need. And we want to be a gardener, right? We don't want to be a carpenter. Well, that's outside the plan. Stick to the plan. I have this plan right here in front of me. This detailed plan as to how to get to where I think it is we need to be. We have to get rid of that. I see that burn down a lot of relationships where people have a solid vision of what they think they need. I, I wanted to get married. I wanted it at this one place and I wanted it to look like this. And then I wanted our house to look like this. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> life doesn't work like that. Be a gardener, not a carpenter, you know? But this is where I want people to be self-reflective. Like I want us to use a lot of this material to look at ourselves and to say like, where's our work, right? That's important. Because later in the show, I'm gonna be um, busting some relationship myths. Some things that I think we've erroneously been led to believe are truths. And I've seen some people get really fouled up by it because when we don't understand something or don't have a lot of experience with something, we kind of reach for familiarity or something we've been told and those things get buried deep. So the work is about kind of letting go of a lot of that, you know, being uncomfortable. That's really what being a good parent is or a good partner, being uncomfortable, but also still staying curious. You know what I mean? Letting who the person before you is kind of lay the path and lead the way and staying open and staying curious and just, thinking of the other, right? And, that, and to some people it sounds so codependent, but we're so ruggedly individualistic and we really want people to do everything on their own and figure it out on their own. And the world needs more cooperation and collectivity, I believe, right? So less of, less of that, um, but just check in with yourself. Are you a gardener or a carpenter? And how can you start to do the work of just creating beautiful conditions so the things in your life and the people in your life can thrive, right? Being better for you having been brought in. That's what the goal is. That's the work. And uh, as parents, we can start to, in, you know, um, how do I want to say this? As parents, we can start to create familiarity and accessibility to that concept in our children, and then they take it forward. Um, imagine what the work, you know, corporate structures would look like if we had people in positions of power actually humanizing, looking out for everyone and what they need, and not just thinking in terms of the dollar and whatnot and dehumanizing people, right? And then it moves into politics and education. I mean, there's a lot, of, there's a lot in this. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to glide into those DMs, and then we'll be talking about some of these relational myths that have thrown us off. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back. All right, we're back, and now it's time to glide into those DMs, brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Drop them in there, whatever you're wondering about. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris and Loveline, how do you tell your partner or husband that you want more? Mm. I want to feel loved. I want to feel special. I want to feel attractive. And they say they're trying, but I just feel like I'm giving 8,000% and they give like 60. 60 is pretty good when we're living a full life where we have family members, friends, our own life, our own career, purpose, meaning. Like 60 is pretty damn good. 100, I think is too much to give anyone or anything. 70% max. We have a lot to attend to. <laughs> uh, I order things online. I bring home food. Sometimes I get flowers and gifts. Go out of my way to leave notes, to be cute, to flirt. But their excuse is that they don't like to buy things online. <laughs> I'm sorry, I laugh. I love, I love, it's like a thud. You know what I mean? It's like, sorry, don't like online shopping, thud. Um, well, a couple things. As you have so clearly shared, there's such a multitude of ways to let someone know that we care about them, we're thinking about them, and they're important to us. And uh, very few of them involve going online or purchasing something. As you shared, little gifts, little notes, uh, prioritizing us, uh, talking to us about something, sharing your thoughts with us, going on walks, creating a date night, doing some travel, uh, cooking dinner together. Um, participating in a shared experience or a hobby of some kind. There's a thousand things. But here's what you have to remember. Not everyone comes from a family where they've been shown, taught, or socialized into flirtation or romance. I've dated people where that was something that wasn't familiar to them. I was raised in a very romantic family where up until my father's death, I saw my dad and mom kissing. They hold hands in the car. He would leave her love notes, buy her gifts. Um, but not everyone's raised knowing that, seeing that, understanding that. And so the question is, do you really know that you're loved? And if so, then let that soften some of this. 
If you don't, none of those things are necessarily gonna provide that if that's not there at the core. So that's kind of a separate issue. However, nonetheless, still feels nice to have things done for you. Trust me, I love attention and gifts and flirtation and romance. I'm very romantic. You know, part of me doing that is to try to create a, you know, the normalization of that to get that back. That feels good. I like being sexualized as too, sexualized as well and eroticized. It's a healthy thing, right? So what would be best is instead of complaining, because we don't complain, we make requests. We don't criticize. Criticism helps and motivates no, and it makes them feel bad. But we can make requests. Hey, it mean a lot to me if you do some romantic things. Here are a few things that would mean a lot to me. It's okay to ask for what you want. In fact, you have to. We all have to. No mind reading, no assumptions. And it's okay to let people know what we want, and it can still be meaningful when they choose to do it. You can share with someone your love language. In fact, I want everyone to sit down and discuss with their partners how you best feel loved so they can do that for you. And I want them to tell you how they feel best loved so you can do that for them. Love languages are about them understanding us and when they tell us about theirs, it's for us to understand them. So what's your partner's love language? And are you doing that for them? Because most likely, if they're not giving you gifts and all of that, then that's not theirs. And that's why they're not giving it to you. So share with them. Here's my love language. I love attention. I love time together. I love gifts, whatever it is. And then say, and what is yours? So I can make sure I'm doing that for you. Because their love language might not be gifts. So you giving gifts might be meaningless. They might just want words of affirmation where they just need to be reminded and told that they're loved. Maybe they want acts of service where you can keep your gifts and love notes and instead do things for them. So this is a beautiful topic to sit down and discuss together so as to both understand what the other needs. I want to make sure that your partner is getting what they need. And most likely, they're operating from their love language, which is faulty. We can't assume that how we feel most loved is how our partner does, and that's just what we do, but that is how people tend to go. So we need to sit down, talk about this, so our partner understands how we best feel loved and cared for. You know, And it's done lovingly, because it's about love. It's not demanded, it's not criticizing, it's not attacking, it's not name calling, it's not bullying, it's not blaming. It's saying, hey, it's important for me to feel loved. Now, your partner's response tells you everything. If your partner's like, eh, I don't care, then it's time to go because you're with someone who does not care about your needs and that is not okay because there's a contract that we form unconsciously when we go romance and we maybe are exclusive or labels or monogamy that you will be there and do that with me and for me. And if you're not willing to do that, then I have a right to ask for that from someone else. You know what I mean? We have to be available to what our partner's needs are. All right, y'all. We're going to take a little break, um, but when we come back, we're going to keep covering some of these important topics around parenting, which is universalizable for all of us. Um, so, uh, yeah, you're listening to Loveline on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and we're talking about relational myths. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. Some erroneous beliefs that have harmed relationships. Uh, Some of them are things that people have really bought into, but uh, clinical experience and research has shown us otherwise. Um, People are a little too confident, I think, in some of the relational knowledge. I say to my clients all the time, don't ask your friends advice. They definitely don't know any better. Most of them have just adopted what the world has told them and how they've been socialized. And a lot of it's wrong. I see a lot of people's initial thoughts about relationships not really being in service of transformation or change, right? Or even not in service of relationship. It's, it becomes very self-protective, like that ego, the, fr- the fragile ego really starts to panic and it reasserts itself with control and space and it's harsh. But some of these myth-harm relationships, um, and you know, let's break some of them down. I love this one. Do opposites attract? It's hilarious. Well, here's the thing. It depends on what we're talking about. And it's bigger and more complex than just do opposites attract or not. Because remember, often in the beginning, every, we, I love these psychological terms. In the beginning, we often see someone as all good. And everything they do is a cuteness or a sweetness to it. And then at some point, those same elements or aspects that we value and enjoy in them, we might start to get frustrated with or struggle with. So it's a, it depends on the time frame in the relationship. It depends on what we're talking about specifically, right? We're talking about how strong are other elements and that will determine whether these differences matter or not. Because it's really 
not so much about those pieces as much as it's about, do you understand how to be a good partner? Do you understand that it's about good enough? Do you understand about your partner is allowed and, and at some time will disappoint you and frustrate you? but commitment shows that we work through. Are you the kind of relationship where you are good at repair? Are you the kind of relationship where you can tolerate some of these distinct differences because you don't need this person to be everything? Like all of that's in there as well. Um, there's a lot of things in, in relationships that are not solvable. Not everything can be resolved or solved. Some of them will be, this is what it's like to be with that person. Can you tolerate that? Can you manage that? Does that break the entire fantasy of what you thought it needed to be? So all of that's in there too. It's not as easy as opposites attract or not. And if you really look back at your relationship, some people are pretty consistent, but others, they have similarities, they have opposites. I mean, if I look at all my relationships, some of them we were very similar, sometimes we were very different, and what worked or what didn't work was sometimes rooted in that, but more importantly, it was rooted in my relational health, right? And that's all the things we're constantly talking about on Loveline. But opposites attract, maybe, it depends. It depends on the people, it depends on what we're talking about. Like I said, it depends on the strengths of other factors. Um, here's another one. Long distance relationships, does it kill relationships? I can't tell you when I shared it first with some people that I was in a relationship with someone from another country because that's how my life went, that they were hearing people, I can never do that, ba 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 ba. Well, it has pluses and minuses. And the same people that were like, I can't do that, I need someone closer, and we're looking for something closer, still haven't maybe found anyone. And we're now gonna be living together in a couple months. And some people have missed out on beautiful relationships because they weren't willing to deal with the year or two or however long it took to eventually get to what they wanted. They weren't able to delay gratification. I need it and I need it now, why? Ask yourself why. Because you're lonely, okay. Being in a relationship still means being lonely. They're not gonna be there for you through everything and they're not necessarily gonna be a participant in everything, right? Like we have to allow loneliness while also in partnership. But if we make these determinants, I can't live with someone on the east side or I couldn't live with someone who lives this many miles away, that's ego. That's you saying it's not ideal. But often amazing relationships aren't ideal. A lot of things that are great aren't ideal. And if we're not willing to put in the work, we miss out on some of the beautiful outcomes. Had I not been willing to deal for a year or two with some distance, I would miss out on what we're going to build in a couple months. And some of the people who were most opposed are still single and don't want to be because they weren't willing to put some of that time in. And so please don't write people off because it's not ideal. Don't write people off because it might take a little bit of work. Don't write people off because... It's not what I thought I was going to have or how I thought it was going to be. You couldn't have known how it should be or what it should look like. That's your ego. That's you being a carpenter, not a gardener. That is you trying to control. Stop being, we need to stop being so secure in what we think we need because again, that often comes from our fear and anxiety and trauma, not from our higher consciousness who has tapped into some higher wisdom. Often what we need is what's most disruptive. Often what we need is what's most transformative. And those things aren't always easy. So be willing to put that time in. You don't have to commit to it. You're not committing right away. You're saying, I will see how this goes. Give yourself the opportunity to see how it could go or what it could really be. We can't know until we step into it. And when we think we know, we miss out. Because again, that's usually rooted in what? Our anxiety and our fear. Fill your life with friends, fill your life with other things, and you won't put so much pressure upon that person and needing them to be more than what they can be. And that's why when people say to me, how do I know when I'm ready to date? I'll say, number one, are you happy in general? And if not, work on that first because you don't wanna bring that misery into their life and it's not their job to make you happy and they won't. People dating people is complicated. Work on being happy in general. Number two, have meaningful things in your life. Something, a couple things that give you purpose and meaning. And we actually have to take a break. When we come back, I'll kind of uh, pick right up on this one. Uh, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back. Okay, we're busting relationship myths. And before the break, I was sharing with you um, what I say when people ask me, how do I assess whether or not I'm ready to date? And when I used to run some group therapies and they were rooted in relationships, right? Uh, one of the things I'd say to them is, number one, are you happy? We're not gonna be happy all the time. That's life. But are we generally happy? Because if not, we're gonna expect them to make us happy or we're gonna bring our misery into their life and make them miserable. Work on being generally happy so that you're not putting that on them and so that you can actually make their life happy. You know what I mean? 
So figure out what's keeping you stuck or miserable because relationships actually make us unhappy sometimes and they're work and they're disruptive at times, right? Number two, do you have purpose and meaning in your life? Again, because that's another way to make sure you have yourself anchored and you're, you're, you're a benefit to their life and you don't put too much on them. Build a life that has purpose and meaning somewhere, somehow. And number three, ready for this one? Have friends. If you don't have friends, work on that first. Why? Number one, we need them. Number two, our partner's job is not to be our best friend and be everything for us. We need to be able to outsource and get needs met with other people. And number three, it gives them a break so they can have friends and go out and do stuff and we can go do stuff. Make friends first. If you don't have them or can't, I'm not sure I trust that you know how to be a good partner. So practice by building amazing, strong friendships first. Also practice by building worth and purpose and meaning in your life, career or somewhere else. And also work on just general level of happiness. And that will let you know, I'm ready to be a parent. I'm ready to be someone's partner. You know, that's important. Um, what are some other relational myths? Mismatched sex drives. Dun, 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 dun. It depends. Is that the only level of compatibility and chemistry you have? Well, if you don't have it all on board, well then yes, you're screwed. If you have other levels of compatibility and chemistry, you'll be fine. You'll weather it. That's why I tell people you don't want just one level of compatibility and chemistry. Why? Because then when it's lacking or gone, you got nothing. You want at least two, ideally all of them. I break it down now into about four levels. There's physical compatibility, which involves romance, affection, and sex. Again, there's more, and these are nuanced, but these are how I break them down. So the first one's physical compatibility and chemistry. Second is psychological and emotional. Third is social. And fourth is political, spiritual, um, like kind of moral, it's all tied in. So physical is, am I drawn to them? What is sex life? What is affection like? Do we want the same amount in the same ways? That's one level to assess. Psychological and emotional. How does it feel to be with them? Do we have similar things we can talk about? Do we like the same levels of closeness, vulnerability, and intimacy? How mentally healthy are they? Third, social. Do we like to do the same things in the world? Outdoors, indoors. Partying, non-partying. Travel, staying local. Those kinds of pieces. And then finally, <clears throat> ethics and politics. I won't date someone who's homophobic or racist. I won't date someone who's Republican. None of that aligns with who I am. You, if, you have, if you can find all those in someone, awesome. Because those will always bounce around and ebb and flow. But if you can only match with someone on one of those, oh my God, it puts a lot of pressure on that and it's not always available. If you can find at least two, okay, you can lean on the other ones. Sex isn't really happening right now. Well, thank God I love traveling with you and sitting around and talking and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? So mismatched sex drives matter really desperately for those that don't have a lot of other levels of chemistry and compatibility. But for those that do, they weather it and they're a little more creative and diversified. It doesn't have to be perfect, but we want to at least be, you know, in the same neighborhood to some extent. So really, really zero in on that one. Do you have more than one level of compatibility? And, and can you work on forming some of that? Can your partner's interests be something that you can still lean into and find worth and value in? Because it's not that you need similarity as much as you at least need respect. And if you can at least respect it and you value it, that's okay. That's as close as maybe you can get, but that has meaning. But if you don't, then it's not gonna work, especially if it's showing up at multiple levels. If you don't really value their social life and their friends, if you don't really value their politics, if you're not really physically into them and you like things different sexually, you're not meant to be sexual romantic partners. Just be friends and, and go for your conversations. And that's the thing. Sometimes when some of these levels are missing, what they really communicate to us is we're meant to just be friends or maybe we're just meant to hook up and we're just meant to have sex and be friends with benefits. Or maybe we are meant to be more of a partnership, which is about pulling a lot of those in. Or maybe you need something more diverse, like maybe you need to be open or poly, I don't know. But it doesn't have to be a complete deal breaker, mismatched sex drives, as long as you have these other things. And it can scare some people, but just make sure you have these other things. Um, another relationship myth that we need to bust, uh, this was an interesting one. Again, I'm pulling this out of a couple of different pieces of research. Feeling, what is this? Is feeling sad bad for my relationship? That one I didn't actually get when I first read it. What it really was trying to communicate, and I just think the languaging is very clunky, 
is, is it okay to be with someone who has mental health struggles? That, that's actually what it's really trying to say. It's dancing around it. I don't know why I won't just go all in. And the answer is yes. And that's when I, when I said earlier, make sure you're happy. I didn't mean you're not allowed to struggle with mental health things. But if your baseline is generally happiness, cool. But if your baseline is a lot of struggle, depression, anxiety, you really need to work on stabilizing that because that's hard for someone to step into. And that makes it hard for us to be our best and be present for someone. So really work on that medication, therapy, um, other alternative supplemental things, uh, because mental health matters. Your mental health impacts your partners and vice versa, especially in a deep committed relationship. It's a feedback loop, right? And what we're doing feeling impacts each other. So really try to get that under, uh, under control a little bit before you start dating or have a child work on self, you know, work on regulation, um, work on, you know, emotional regulation, work on self-care, Really get get your therapy going. Get into therapy for a while. I love when people reach out saying, "I'm going to be a parent soon," or "We're we're going to get well, my relationship's getting serious. I want to get into therapy or couples therapy so we can iron some stuff out." Enter it with our eyes wide open, really conscious. So let your mental health struggles let you know where the work is. Because I tell people, it's okay to date someone who's struggling with their mental health as long as they're working on it. But if the partner's saying, "I'm not willing to go into treatment. I'm not willing to work on it. I'm not willing to get sober," well, then you shouldn't be with that person because they're not available even to themselves. They can't possibly be available to you. Uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about some of these really important myths that we need to bust that are getting in the way of some happy relationships and partnerships. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. Stick around. All right. We're back and we're busting relationship myths. Whoa. Is long distance bad? No. Give it a try. Do opposites attract? They can, but you have to be respectful and you have to have other things going for you. Does it matter if we have mismatched sex drives? It depends. Do you have other levels of chemistry and compatibility? Then you're cool. If not, work through it. Challenge yourself. Your partner wants more sex. Why are you afraid to lean in and have more sex? What is it you don't want to encounter? What is it you don't want to deal with? Sex doesn't harm us. We might not be open for penetration. That's okay. Sex is more than that. But are we open to something else, right? How can we help our partner get their needs met? What is it maybe that they're trying to do within sex? Maybe they're just lonely and need to be connected with, right? Maybe they miss us. So we want to kind of investigate and unpack that. Then we talked about mental health issues. It's okay to have them. Just be working on them. That's all I demand, that you're working on them. And I want people to make sure that they are. Otherwise, you or that person isn't ready for a relationship yet because they're not even taking care of themselves. Um, I love this one. This was kind of odd. Does being more positive save my relationship? Well, not if you're toxically positive because sometimes things stink and people want to really feel things. Remember, mental health is not the absence of mental struggles. Mental health is not, I'm never depressed, I'm never anxious. No, you will be. Mental health is, I can feel all emotions deeply and fully. I know how to regulate. I know how to lean in. I have tools, right? And so toxic positivity isn't real or honest. Sometimes bad things are happening. Sometimes there's things hap that are happening that we should be angry and sad about. Anger is a sign we haven't set boundaries or anger can galvanize us into action. And sadness can be the same thing. It's, it's, it's the other side of loving. It's loss. And we have to be able to sit in those feelings. And we can't really connect or feel safe or build intimacy if someone isn't comfortable letting us drop down into an emotional experience. You know what I mean? They're always trying to pull us out. It'll be fine. Everything happens for a reason. No, sit with me for a bit. Let me feel these feelings. Let me really be seen. Let us really connect. So um, it, it's a myth that we always need to be positive, right? Sh here's another one. Uh, shouldn't my partner always have my back? Mm, what do you all think? I think it depends what we're talking about. Yeah, I like as a unit, whether it's friends or family or loved one, if someone's in your life and you care about them, yes, you have their back. But not if they're doing something wrong or unjust. I'll call everyone out. I, if someone's saying something racist or homophobic, I don't sit quiet during an injustice. I'll call out a family member. I'll call out a boss. I'll, I'll call out someone who's writing my paycheck for a deal. If they have crappy politics, I'll call out a best friend. I'll call out a celebrity. Like, I, I don't care who. No one's above um, being called out for an injustice. So if it's your husband or best friend or child, hey, I need to stop you. That was racist. That's never okay. Can we talk about that? Right? That we do need to speak up and talk about. So I don't like the idea of you should always have my back. Well, it depends. Are you doing something violent or oppressive? Well, then I'll never have your back, <laughs> ever. Have you made a mistake? Yes. If you take accountability and apologize, I have your back, always. And that's why, that's part of cancel culture I hate. We have to do cancel culture to take harmful, dangerous people out of positions of power. Oh my God, like Harvey Weinstein, get him out, get him out. But 
we can't vote everyone off the planet when they let us down. We have to be open to apology and accountability. We've all harmed people and we all will. And we have to be open to bringing people back in once they've done the work. So no, you don't, you shouldn't have anyone's back all the time. We hold people accountable. That's important. The most loving thing we can do with the people we care about is to call them in. Hey, I noticed what you said or what you did. It hurt me or it hurts other people or whatever it is. No one's above that. I'll say to a police officer, I'll say to the president, it doesn't matter. We have to think collectivity wise. We have to get rid of these higher keys of power. No one's above you. We, we all work together. Like your boss. You don't work for your boss. You work with your boss. He needs you as much as you need him. Call him out. President. President works for us. We voted him in. Call him out. Like I love when I see people on Twitter saying to Vice President Harris, hey, we know you love the carceral system. We know you're not an abolitionist. <laughs> We're also struggling with some of your thoughts on immigration. Um, I get to I get to speak up to the Vice President. That's free speech. That's important. That's how we create change. We have to call out these problematic things. So no, don't always have your partner's back. That's actually not love or care. And then it goes into the next one about forgiving your partner. Always, if they've done true accountability and apology, they've taken accountability and said they're wrong, or they've done something harmful, they've shown that they understand why, and they've talked about how they're going to be better. That makes them safe to be brought back in. But not everyone's willing to do that, Right. And this is about our mental health because when we're in relationships, it's a feedback loop. So we don't want to let some of these damaging myths get perpetuated and pushed forward, right? Um, we can't kick everyone out of our life the minute they let us down or frustrate us or disappoint us. And I work with some people that do that. Um, they, don't, they don't know how to stick around when someone repairs, right? Someone lets them down or bums them out. And instead of listening to the person when they reach out to apologize or reconnect, they block them, they cut them out. And then what happens is you create a world where you're on your own. <laughs> That's what happens. You're on your own by yourself and no, you're not happier. You're sitting there wounded and hurt, right? So we have to let people let us down. It's still one of my favorite interviews. Nadia, uh, she's a, um, uh, I guess she would call herself a priest a pastor, I can't remember what she'd identify as, but um, Nadia Bowles Weber was interviewing Lance Armstrong after he got busted for doping. <clears throat> and her first statement was, haven't we all lied? And I loved that she said that, she normalized that. We've all lied, some to higher degree with more damage, but we all understand the experience. And when someone takes accountability, we wanna be welcomed back like they are, you know? Um, all right, we're gonna take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to be gliding into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Stick around, we'll be back. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, we are back. Now it's time to glide into those DMs. Brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. All right, DMs always come from our Loveline IG page. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris, I'm hearing a lot of people talking more and more, especially post-pandemic, about the topics of surviving, but also thriving. I don't quite understand the difference. Can you break it down for me? Yes, I can. And I think it's actually, I'm really, a lot of these questions bring up really important topics that I think are pretty universalizable. And this one's really good. Um, yeah, there's a difference between thriving, surviving, and then there's also this other two categories called struggling and then crisis. Think of them as a spectrum. It's thriving. Then as we're struggling more, it's surviving, right? Then we're struggling and then we're in crisis. So let's go backward. Well, let me go this way. Thriving is you feel calm. Your needs are met, right? Your mood is steady. You're able to handle what's happening. You're consistent, right? You're focused, mental health centered. You're sleeping, you're eating. All those things are, are, are as they normally are. That's thriving. You're doing well, you're doing your best. We're not gonna live there all the time. The goal isn't to always be thriving. It's not possible. Events happen, things change, right? We sometimes bump or lean into surviving, which is where something's a little off, right? You're a little nervous. Mental health isn't that great, feeling more anxiety than normal, a little maybe more depression, overwhelmed. You're not as focused, you're not as consistent, right? The small things set you off, that's a really good one. 
when you're really kind of tired and you're a little cranky, a little whiny, things set you off, that's a sign you're in, you're in surviving mode. You're just kind of surviving and you're out of thriving. So the work is how do I lean back into thriving? Because you might be bumping into struggling and you want to stay out of crisis, right? So again, surviving is like, I can't sleep well, eating's off, I'm not enjoying things, I can feel it in my body. That's a red flag. You need to get into thriving, which means doing less, backing off of all the workload. I know, taking, giving, letting someone come help out with the kids, taking some downtime, you know, doing 70% at work, canceling a lot of things on your calendars. And it's about self-care, you know, sleeping more, finding and engaging in things that give you joy and pleasure, right? Uh, making sure you're eating, staying hydrated, moving your body. So it's usually about doing less. Usually it means we're taking on too much emotionally or physically or socially or you know family responsibility. That's how we kind of get back into thriving with the back off. Now, if you're pushing forward though and you're not addressing the, 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 the barely surviving this, then we're going to start to move into like struggling and then crisis. Um, you know, crisis is you're not, you're not getting anything handled. Everything's horrible. You're possibly moving into, you know, not as abled as you normally are. Panic attacks can have nightmares. Maybe you're not falling asleep or staying asleep. A lot of thoughts, uh, maybe even some, you know, maladaptive coping mechanisms are popping up. You're easily upset. Those are signs that we've taken it too far or we've let it go on too long. We want to try to stay as close to thriving as we can. So it's always about how, how balanced is your schedule every day? Are you able to build in some self-care, something that gives you a little bit of joy and pleasure? Are you able to rest, right? And usually it's about setting some boundaries, saying no, and taking some things off your schedule. You know, making sure that your life is centered in purpose and meaning, making sure you're not people-pleasing. It's difficult stuff, especially when we have a lot of different responsibilities, a lot of different relationships, a lot of different balls in the air, a lot of room for that complexity. And we saw that even happen in the pandemic. For some people, they were kind of just barely surviving and then that happened and boom, right into crisis. You know what I mean? And then for others, they were maybe thriving and because of that and doing so well, the pandemic just bumped them into just a little bit of, um, you know, just trying to survive, but we're not in crisis because we were doing well. We have good, you know, resources and self-care and tons of coping mechanisms and, you know, we kind of hung in there. But for those that weren't already doing that great, when something further destabilizing happens, it just pushes us right into crisis, which is why I'm always saying over and over and over and over, make sure every day you're checking in on your mental health. Make sure every day your whatever comes up, you say, how is this impacting my mental health? Make sure every day you're building in self-care, rest, joy, and pleasure. These are all the foundational pieces, bare minimum, right? Because life throws a lot at us. And uh, we're talking more and more about it, so that's great. But I don't want people living in crisis or near crisis. Um, that's not good. So thanks for your question. Uh, that is our show. If you got a question for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes of Loveline are over at wearechannelq.com. And uh, yeah, visit us, check us out, binge, post, share, check out some of the other content over there. And if you have any topics you want covered, as always, put them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. But uh, get out of here and make sure you focus on thriving. That's where we want to be living, you know what I mean? But as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. You enjoy the rest of your night and see you tomorrow. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.